This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat here. This is our first post-game edition of the 2021 season, and not exactly how it was supposed to go, at least not to the Bills, and certainly not to, I would assume, the majority of the people that are listening to this podcast, unless, you know, there's just some Steelers fans out there reveling in the defeat of their team, but... But yes, the Bills drop the week one game to the Steelers 23-16, to and we'll go over all of it as we see fit. My name is Joe Biscaglia, and with me for the first time here on the Buffalo Beat, he is going to be jumping in on the post-game shows this season. I am very excited to have him on the Buffalo Beat. One, Matt Beauvais, who is the sports director at WKBW in Buffalo, Channel 7. And uh, yeah, Matt, welcome in. I'm very excited to be here, but I will say, I feel like I am just getting thrown into the wolves right now because Fairburn leaves and all of a sudden the Bills are losing games to the Steelers that they're not supposed to lose. But all things considered, uh, it's a joy to be here and it's going to be a lot of fun. My favorite thing that happened after the game was that Fairburn took a picture of Gillette Stadium and said, all right, Patriots-Dolphins in a battle to see who's going to be first in the AFC East. Oh. It was, it was. It, I mean, everyone that listens to this show knows how sarcastic and hilarious yes. Fairburn can be. But yeah, that was uh, probably not what the majority of you wanted to see. But yes, the Bills lost 23-16 to to the Steelers. It was a very uh, interesting game, to say the least, yep. because there was a lot of just moments that there that needed to be better from the bills and yep. and you look at it from just an outright offensive perspective and i think that's going to be the area where we get to first because mm-hmm. Josh Allen and uh and the offense the offensive line it was a bit of a mess today yep. and Allen i think uh will get a bunch of the blame as he should but the offensive line as well, but we'll get we'll get into more of that. But Matt, what did you see from from Allen? What did you make of his day? Uh, and we'll kind of get in the weeds from there. I feel like he was forcing things, and it almost felt like we were watching a Bills game from back in 2019. But like you said, I think you have to try and figure out where you put the blame, and everybody wants to put it on one particular thing. But I think in this instance everybody should equally get a little bit of the blame. I don't think Josh Allen played good enough, especially coming off the contract that they just signed him to. I don't think he played terrible either. The offensive line, I would say they played terrible. They really struggled to protect him and to just give him any time. And then as far as the receiving core is concerned, there were some drops. There were some plays that you would like them to make. So overall, I think as an offense... They didn't do a good enough job. And that also brings in offensive coordinator Brian Dable. This was a weird game. It did not feel like this was a type of game we saw last year. I don't know if it was the Steelers and the Steelers defense is really that good. But some of the play calls, some of the quarterback design runs that they were doing, some of the decisions to run on second and 10, like that's why this dy- this offense was so dynamic last year was because it felt like they had a leg up on everybody because they were, you know, trying to go stretch the field basically every time they had an opportunity to. So it was just a really weird game. And like we were talking about before we started, it felt like they never really adjusted when we were able to figure out what the Steelers were doing. Yeah, I I think 
it, it was almost as though to me that the Bills were just kind of, and they probably weren't thinking this, just like it wasn't staring at them straight in the face. But like, if if you watched how they operated out, out there, it almost seemed like they were just expecting the breakthrough to happen mm-hmm. at some point, and it just never did. They never adjusted off their initial strategies. Um, and I do have some stats to to show that, uh, which I'll get into. But Brian Dable does deserve some some blame here. You know, I'm not big into you know, criticizing play calls, individual play calls, mm-hmm. just because I think they're so results-based. And I think a lot of times you can get yourself into trouble like, oh, you shouldn't have done that because the play didn't go well. well of 100%. Course, of course, that's, that's going to happen. But I think... In terms of concept, is how I would I would look at it above all else. And if you are doing something that is just quite honestly not working throughout the duration of the game, then you should you should shift from that. Now, the one area that I thought that the Bills were go- going to try and exploit coming into the game, uh, Matthew Fairburn and I touched on this in in the podcast leading up to the game, was because of the Bills' receiver depth. You know, being able to go four, five players deep here and really having good talent across their wide receiver room. And the Steelers losing a couple of guys in the offseason, that being Mike Hilton, one of their nickel corners, or that their their marquee nickel corner who wound up signing a big deal in Cincinnati, and Steven Nelson, who was one of their starting boundary corners last year. That left them with Joe Hayden, Cam Sutton, um, and like guys like Justin Lane and James Pierre, they just traded for uh, Akello Witherspoon for a fifth round pick after he lost the starting job in Seattle. Like it was just, you could tell that there was a potential advantage there. But I think what the Steelers thought to themselves was, okay, what did the Bills do last year? And, and how did they try to exploit teams? And they knew full well that their weakness in the Steelers' self-scouting, they knew that the secondary was the weakness of their defense and the Bills were probably going to attack it. And that the Bills did. In this game, They uh, the Bills last year, from a percentage standpoint, they ran four wide receiver sets on 14.1% of their, of their plays in the regular okay. season last year. In this game... Brian Dable and the Bills offense ran four wide receiver sets on 33% of oh, their snaps, which is a humongous increase. Yeah. And they also ran nine five wide receiver sets, which added another 11.5%. So in total, four wide receivers plus, the Bills ran that 44.9% half of the game. 44.9% of the time. And the worst part is. It didn't work. No. So here, and I have more stats to back that up because I went play by play. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> On non-penalty plays, and I'm sorry, I'm 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 taking up the taking up the uh, the time. You here. have a chart. I don't have a chart, <laughs> so it makes sense. Well, on four wide receiver uh, snaps, the Bills did get their one touchdown. That was to Gabriel Davis. Yeah. But they only gained 122 yards on 26 total plays. These are non-penalty plays, by the way. Okay. 122 yards. 4.69 yards per play, which is not good. Especially when you're running out of that. And five wide receivers, they only gain negative two yards Ugh. on nine total plays. So when you are combining for 120 yards on 35 total plays, that's 
that speaks to a failure as to your initial game plan. So I would have liked to see the, the Bills kind of pivot off that. They were actually really successful uh, out of 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers. They gained 249 yards on 39 plays. It was 50% of, of their day. And for them to gain 129 more yards on 11 personnel plays on only four more snaps is ridiculous. So that that speaks to the Bills needing to adjust. And I just don't think Dable did that. I guess where do you find the balance, though, in realizing that you need to adjust and also having the confidence that you should stick with your bread and butter, which last year was four wide receiver sets. And clearly the evidence shows right now that they should have been running more 11 personnel. Maybe they should have tried to run the ball at different times than they ultimately did. It, it was weird. And like you said, it was weird watching them not adjust. And it was also weird because they were just getting destroyed on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And it felt like when they were in these four wide receiver sets and these five wide receiver sets, Allen never looked comfortable. He was forcing throws that we haven't seen him try to force. And that's why it was such a sloppy game. I mean, 16 points? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. 16 points? We were talking about it earlier. That matches a low that they had last year. And I know it's a different season. And I know the Steelers' defense is a very good one. But still, that's unacceptable for a team that's bread and butter is scoring points on offense. If you went into this game and you said the Steelers are going to score 23 points, I think everybody would have said, okay, yeah, the Bills are going to win. They're scoring more than 23 in the their Steelers home opener. scored 16 on offense, if we're being fair here. Yes. So you should... You should probably be able to overcome that. And at, not to jump ahead here, but you know, after the game, we talked to Sean McDermott, and he's getting asked all of these questions. And of course, he hit us with the typical, I need to look into the film. But he made it pretty clear with his comments that he was at least somewhat happy with the play of his defense. And there were some little subtle comments about the play of the offense. And he said that there were things that needed to be addressed. And I think he was specifically talking about the play of the offensive line. I do not think the sky is falling. I don't think the Bills' defense is broken. I think there are people on social media who are like, fire Brian Dable. Like, that's crazy. That is way, way, way too out there. But... They should have made the adjustments that they needed to make, and they should have executed better. And that's what's ultimately, I think, the most concerning about what we saw Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I don't know that I was necessarily put off by how little they ran the ball. I know that was a pretty popular sentiment mm-hmm. from, from some people on Twitter. Um, you know, it's it's all about maximizing. But the other part of this is the offensive line is not really that good of a run blocking no. unit. I mean... Uh, it's Cody Ford's strength at mm-hmm. this point in his career. Um, it's probably John Feliciano's strength, considering the fact that Cam Hayward handed him his lunch the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, Mitch Morse, not so much. Deion Dawkins, not so much. Daryl Williams, maybe, but he's probably a better pass blocker at this point, too. So when you have um, that sort of thing, they're, they're leaning into their strengths. It's just a matter of catching the the defense off guard, knowing and spotting these tendencies. Um, it's more difficult than just saying, okay, you need to, you need to run the ball seven more times a game yeah. th- than, than pass the ball. I, I love that they lean in and, and go 51 uh, pass attempts compared to however many rush attempts that they had in this game. But it's all about in how you devise the strategies. Like when you, if you see like they, they have a lot of people on staff, if you see that stuff and this is kind of an oversimplification because it's more nuanced than just, OK, how mm-hmm. many receivers are on the field and, and everything like that. 
But if you see that clearly when the Steelers defensive backs are, when you have four receivers and five receivers on the field, I mean, Cole Beasley even said it after the game. It, it, it was almost never as though that any of them found a one-on-one, that there was always a Steelers defender waiting for them. So if there's a way to cut that and, and see that the 11 personnel is probably your best way of operating and maybe getting the Steelers to kind of put their guard down of what they were expecting and pivot off your initial game plan, then that's where you can start to have some success. But, you know, it, it's all in the matter of getting that time, that protection time, and that this is where the offensive line comes into play. I know we talked about it a lot coming into the season here on this podcast, but the guards are an absolute wreck right now. Feliciano was awful in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I And I do want to, like McDermott, I do want to watch the film, but... I mean, there was was a few snaps where Feliciano just looked like he was getting handled by Cam Hayward. Um, Cody Ford, not really that great, but pass blocking is not a strength. Um, I did find it interesting that the guard rotation began uh, with Cody Ford and Ike Butker. Um, Cody Ford had got the first two offensive series. Ike Butker got the next two. And then after that, Cody Ford the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They completely went away from it. Uh, So it's just... It's going to be a problem this year, and I don't know that the situation, the uh, the answer is in house. Uh, and maybe it's a, a down the line. It's a Daryl Williams move into side to guard and have Spencer Brown be your right tackle. Maybe it's trying Ryan Bates there. Maybe it's too early to to even be talking about this. But it's been a problem for the duration of the summer. It's been a problem into preseason, and now it's a problem into the first game of of the regular season. So if it continues. They're going to have to address it. They absolutely are. And what did you think of Mitch Morse's game? It was all right. I I, I thought he's had a lot stronger moments this uh, this summer than he yeah. did in that game. But this is also one of the better defensive lines they'll go up against. So, I, you know, it's it's a you know balance here. You've been talking about the potential problems with the interior offensive line basically for the entire summer. And I think because they brought back starters, a lot of people – You know, some of it is justified. A lot of people are like, no, that unit was pretty good last year. This makes sense for them. That was not an area where they needed to upgrade. But, I mean, you remember five, six months ago, there were people who were saying that maybe Mitch Morse was going to be a cap casualty. And I think that was a little off base because I do think that he's still a strong center. And I think he's a valuable asset to this team. But the fact that Ike Butker is even going into a rotation with Cody Ford, I think shows just the level of confidence that the coaching staff has in his ability. And Feliciano is a fan favorite. A lot of people love John Feliciano, but you're right. When you were watching them get beat on the offensive line today, it felt like almost every time he was the guy who was getting run by. And I don't exactly know what they're going to do because it's not like they have, like you said, a ton of options in-house right now. There's a lot of question marks there. You brought up Spencer Brown. I don't think Spencer Brown is ready to be getting any sort of significant playing time unless he's coming in as a swing tackle like Ty Nisecki did a couple of years ago. So that's something they're going to need to figure out. And then you add on top of that all of the holding penalties that they were taking today that ultimately canceled out several different chunk plays. And that's where it goes to the fact where like everybody needs to get a little bit of the blame because sure, Josh Allen missed plays today. That Emmanuel Sanders deep ball, he needs to hit that. He missed him by like six yards. The game is probably completely different if he makes that completion. 
But there were also a lot of times when he was running for his life and he had nowhere to go. So you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, like what was he doing? It was such a bad game. There were times when he was playing bad, but there's only so much you can do. You know, like an analogy that I like to use, it's like it's asking somebody to paint without a paintbrush. Like he's going up against one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, if not the best pass rusher in the NFL. He was in his face basically the entire game. And there were times when, like Cole Beasley said in the postgame press conference, there really just wasn't anybody open. So I, I do think the biggest takeaway, if you want to say like, yeah, this is why the Bills lost today, is probably the play of the offensive line. But I do think, you know, it's more complicated than that. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Yeah. I, before we, we get off the, the offensive line point, um, because I, I do think it's important to bring up Josh Allen's performance and, and not completely absolve him from from the mm-hmm. day. We talked a lot about Dable. We've talked a lot about the offensive line. But I am slightly concerned about Deion Dawkins. Three holding calls, mm-hmm. a lot of pressures, and he was working against a guy in Melvin Ingram who has had a lot of success in his career, but he's also getting near the end of his career. And it's usually the type of matchup that Dawkins does well against. And I am going to be very interested to not only watch the film on him, but to see the overall pressure percentages in in terms of how many pass sets he, he dropped back into and how many times that Melvin Ingram applied a pressure on those pass sets. Because last year, Dawkins' uh, pass blocking win rate was not as great as you would expect it to be for how for how talented uh, a player he is and I wonder if that percentage even rose a bit higher so this is this is just put a pin in it for now because he's gonna be going up against um, a defensive line in Miami next week that you know has some talent but um, he should be able to come out a lot better in that game but if he doesn't and he continues to be or if he is a problem again then then we'll see so let's go to Josh Allen because I think the way you termed it, Matt, is correct. There were many things around him that were failing. However, he is the entirety of the yep. of this offense. He, based on what they did last year, the reason that they made that meteoric rise up into the passing, the elite passing offenses in the NFL. And eventually to one of the final four teams alive in the NFL playoffs is because of Allen and the way he was able to dice up uh, opponents and be able to be able to basically have an answer for everything that was thrown at him. And today he looked hesitant. There's there's no other way to put it for me. Just watching it unfold. He did make a lot of right reads like. That Sanders one up the seam that he wound up missing that you talked mm-hmm. about, that should have been a touchdown, yeah. but it was the right read. He read the safety perfectly. You saw it unfolding up here from the press box. I, I immediately, as soon as the route was going, I said Sanders. And and sure enough, Sanders was right down the seam. The, the safety was going off to uh, the safety's right side, and the ball should have been there. Um, so he made that that correct read. But I'm just talking in like for like intermediate passing attack. It didn't seem like he was totally sharp in this game to where as soon as he saw something, he made the throw. Or 
he didn't seem like he was anticipating um, uh, anticipating his routes coming open nearly enough as nearly as much as we saw uh, last year from him. And I think the way that you termed it right near the beginning of the show, Matt, was was good. It was more reminiscent of 2019 Josh Allen, just that air of hesitancy, mm-hmm. um, but also a lot a lot flashes, of flash flashes. flash plays. Yeah. And and then also on top of that, just throwing up some turnover worthy plays. Mm-hmm. That that to me is a slight concern, but I'm not gonna sit here and say, all right, the sky is falling, because it's one week. The Steelers are inherently clever. Yep. They know what they're doing defensively. They have a good defensive coordinator. They have a lot of really good pieces on their defense, even though they lost some players. So I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, Josh Allen is is a different guy. He just needs to be sharper next week, and that's really what it boils down to. Here are the good Josh Allen plays that come to mind from the day. I think the most obvious one is the touchdown pass to Gabriel Davis. That was a really nice throw. Earlier in that drive, though, probably the most impressive play I think that he made, catching the Steelers with 12 guys on the field, Mm -hmm. snapping the ball before they got off, knowing he had a free play, rolling out to, I believe it was his right, and then finding Gabriel Davis over the middle. I think it was for like a 35-yard gain or a 37-yard gain or something like that. That was a really good play. There was one early in the game that was ultimately brought back because of a holding penalty because it it felt like that happened like 10 times today, but where he escaped pressure and he was able to run and create like a 15-yard gain that would have been a huge momentum swing for the offense that was ultimately brought back. He had a couple nice throws to Emmanuel Sanders that I think probably should have hit. There was the one down the seam in, I believe, the fourth quarter. It might have been the third quarter or the fourth quarter. That was a nice ball. Maybe it was a half second later than it could have been to ultimately be a completion. But I think that goes to your point of last year, he puts that ball perfectly on the money and it's a completion no matter what. He made you know Emmanuel Sanders have to make a tough catch and he didn't. Um, I think he had a couple nice throws to Diggs, but there was also a lot of times where there was miscommunication today, Mm -hmm. and that was strange. There was one deep shot that they took that should have probably been an interception. I don't know if he was anticipating Diggs to cut back towards the middle or if he thought Sanders was going to kind of streak out to the right a little bit, and he Mm -hmm. ultimately didn't. So they kind of avoided one there. He did have a fumble today that they were covered, and they're lucky that they were covered that. And then, of course, he had the fumble on the TJ Watt play. So like you said, I think that there were flashes today of the Josh Allen that we saw last year, but I don't think there were enough of them. And there were some uncharacteristic mistakes that I need to see now what he does next week against Miami and maybe against some teams that don't have just absolutely elite pass rushers like TJ Watt. Because I do think, even though I don't think the Steelers are going to be a great team this year, I was more impressed with them today than I thought I would be going into the game. So maybe it is a situation where the Steelers are better than we initially thought and the Bills just had a bad day. And ultimately, you know, that happens. And the sample size isn't big enough for him to get the pass, you know, often. But every once in a while he can. I mean, look at Green Bay today. Like, Aaron Rodgers didn't have a great day, but he's Aaron Rodgers. This is going to be a bit because... Aaron Rodgers is Bovee's, like, sworn enemy. Aaron Rodgers is my sworn enemy. I hope he's listening to this. But, yeah, he shoved his 
fist into my sternum back in 2015. And then he had his worst NFL game. You know, it's not the worst game of his career. I would like to think it was, but he got picked off twice by Bakari Rambo. Yeah, Aaron Rod- MVP, whatever. Can we swear on this podcast? Actually, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, that's big to know. Bove works in TV, so he's not used to uh, being able to swear on the pot. You just don't just don't take it overboard. No, I, I wouldn't take it overboard overboard I, because, like, I, I don't know. My dad's probably listening to this. So. I mean, after all, we've had Tim Graham on the pot. Okay, good. Yeah. But <laughs> long story short, like, if Aaron Rodgers didn't have a great day today. Josh Allen didn't have a great day today. Yeah. There was a lot of people who didn't have strong week ones. I think if you looked at Josh Allen's path, you know, stat line, 30, 51, 270 touchdowns, one touchdown, 270 yards, one touchdown. I think it was a slightly below average. Is that how you'd categorize it? Like yeah. slightly below average, not terrible, not a disaster, but also not good. He is certainly capable of more. He needs to be better because this is that he has advanced past the point of which this is deemed an acceptable game like yes a couple of years ago it's like oh well look at look at these flashes look at these things that he did but it was just just too many missed opportunities for him and that's he knows he's gonna have to clean it up and that's that's part of it 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 did seem like the the option the option routes were they were on a bit of a different wavelength a couple of times. The one that you brought up in particular, where it seemed like he was sailing it towards a towards an interception. I'm pretty sure he was expecting Emmanuel Sanders just to take it take it flat and go mm-hmm. straight straight up. But Sanders instead ran ran a post uh, from the right side o- over to the middle, and, and that's what made what made it look like that Allen completely missed it. But I think for the most part. It just boils down to him trusting trusting it a bit more. Yeah. It it I don't know. It just seemed like he was a bit. I, I used this word before, but hesitant is the is the one word that I keep coming back to, and it's just the the franchise quarterback. Is, I know it's this is a very simplistic point, but it it is when you have a a guy like that who was an MVP candidate last year. Who signed the contract that he did? Mm-hmm. He just, he just, that matters. You just gotta be better. That's yeah, it. and there were some weird little mistakes that kind of take us back to Josh as a younger player. And I don't think this is going to become a trend, but there were a couple times today where there was like a third and three, and he threw it at the grounds too low, as opposed to hitting Cole Beasley in stride, and like that's an easy first down. And there was a couple where he threw it to the left of Emmanuel Sanders on a play where he probably had three or four yards of separation, and that would have been another first down. So I think there was a little bit of sloppiness there. I don't necessarily think that we're going to see that continuously. Like, I do expect the offense to be better moving forward. I think we all expect the offense to be better moving forward. That's still this team's bread and butter, and I don't think one game really changes that. But going back to the first point that you made, hopefully – the coaches realize like we maybe need to sometimes adjust our game plan and take what the defense is giving us kind of like the New England game last year when they just ran like crazy because that's basically what New England was giving them. It was like, all right, throw on us. And they were like, nah, we're good. We're just going to keep running it and it's going to work. And, you know, I think sometimes maybe they are a little too slow to make that adjustment. But once again, I do commend them to an extent for – you know, digging it like 51 pass attempts is yeah. that's a lot. 
Yeah, and like I said, I don't mind that they they leaned into their four and five wide receiver sets, but if it's not working, then change it. Then change it. It's really that simple. Um, one other note on the offense before we flip over to the defensive side of things. Um, something I found very interesting. I, I think most of you know this about me now, but during the games, I keep snaps. Um, it's just just kind of a thing. And I'm an insane person, and I understand this. But I keep I keep the snap counts just to make sure you know who's lining up where, who's lining up with who, uh, because you get the snap counts the day after, but you don't get like the context of of when they happen and yeah. specific plays, and you know h- how successful those plays were. Um, so I I dug into the Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis split because this was a kind of a talking point for a lot of people in the off season. Uh, certainly, the fantasy football community was like. So I didn't take a snap count, and I want to guess. Oh, you want to guess? Okay. I'm a, I think Emmanuel Sanders probably was like two to one in snaps to Gabriel Davis today. That's a guess. I don't have the number. Obviously, I don't know. Almost, almost two to one. So that's impressive because I was like eating a cookie during the game, <laughs> and you were like tallying in your notebook. So I'm glad to know that I can still function while eating a big oh, cookie. Oh no, we got we got spread, <laughs> we got spreadsheets for that. Do you have a cookie spreadsheet? Um, no, there's no way. No, but that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be rankings of cookies from Bobe. Um, so uh, the fantasy football community in particular has been really interested in the Sanders versus Davis debate. But it all along, it has seemed like Sanders has been the guy that they continue to talk to. They talk about like, hey, this is uh, he's going to be a big part of the offense. But you don't actually know until you see action. And the action that we saw today was, wow, did it did it veer into the, the lane of Sanders. So, in total, Emmanuel Sanders had 79 um, uh, snaps uh, and a percentage of 92.9%. Oh, oh. Um, that's Gabriel, probably close to what Diggs had. Yeah, it is actually like just a little bit below. Yeah. Um, Gabriel Davis had 43 snaps for 50.6% of snaps, but it gets worse. So, you know how I said they, they ran a lot of four wide receiver sets? Yeah. Um, so, that was the majority of Gabriel Davis's snaps. So, on 11 personnel, three wide receiver snaps, Emmanuel Sanders took 36 out of 39 of those attempts for 92.3%. Gabriel Davis, four. 10.3%. So, if you want to know who the Bills want as their... 11 personnel, top three. It's Diggs, it's Beasley, it's Sanders. And it wasn't that close. It might be closer if they if they go more heavy 11 personnel and just want to get Davis more time on the field. But Sanders is the starter. And and he, he should have had a long touchdown. He should have led the Bills in receiving today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Allen just missed it. And they, he had a really good game, I thought. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. The, the, um, the receivers in totality and the offense, the offensive line just – Need to be a whole lot better. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball because I do think there was some good there. Um, certainly, I think it's led off by their run defense. It's great. I was very impressed by their defensive line on the whole. And it was a matchup that they should have won because the Steelers... Offensive line. Yeah, is it, it, I, I was talking to um, our our beat reporter, our Steelers beat reporter, Mark Cavalli, before the game. And he's just like, it's it's kind of a wreck yeah. <laughs> because they're starting a rookie center, an undersized rookie center in Kendrick Green, who they uh, who they start who they draft in the third round. They're starting a 
left tackle in Dan Moore um, because their their usual starting right tackle had to go on IR, so their left tackle had to switch over to the right side for some insane reason. Trey Turner, who has been a multiple Pro Bowl guy, has kind of been struggling with injury and wasn't all that great um, with his uh, his blocking last year. And Kevin Dotson is inexperienced, their left guard, but still a pretty good player. So their matchup was there for the taking. And even without Star Latulale, I thought they held up the point of attack incredibly well. The linebackers were great today. Mm-hmm. Um Ed Oliver was, was awesome. Yeah, he was he was one of the, the best players on the field for the Bills in this game. And really when you when you look at the stats from Najee Harris, they tried to run him, I think it was 18 times. Have, 16 six, attempts for 45 yards, but take into account that he had an 18-yard game exactly. towards the end of the game. So basically up to that point, he was only averaging like a yard and a half per carry. Yeah, the eight, the eighteen yarder. Uh, it's a nice run. Accounted for, yeah, it was accounted for forty percent of his rushing total. Yeah, which is. I know. started him in fantasy, so clearly I had a great, <laughs> I had a great day today. Yeah, I, well, Bove and I are in a in a couple of leagues together, and I'm playing him in one league. It was and, an assault, and I I'm. I'm still smoking him by a hundred points. So, and I didn't even have like that bad of a week, no, which didn't. goes to show just yeah. how ridiculous of a week that you had. <laughs> so, like salt in the wound, really, just for everything week one here. <laughs> well, is, but in terms of uh, outside of our our fantasy football failings and successes, the defense for the Bills was was the strength. Mm-hmm. Um, not everywhere. No, the pass rush. Was all, it was always going to have a tough time against Ben Roethlisberger because Roethlisberger gets the ball out quickly. Mm-hmm. But you know, I they at least got some things going. Mar- Mario Addison had the strip sack. Yep. Um, they did have some pressures up the middle, so there there was at least something there. Um, really, it's just they didn't have to. I, I really find I don't find a lot of reason to for fans to get upset with the defense like yeah was levi wallace the victim of a couple of plays sure he was Mm -hmm. but they still only allowed 16 points it's (laughs) that's that's what it boils down to it's weird because like yes in the first half they were unbelievable the defense they were awesome in the second i think it's kind of a recency bias thing because yes they did only allow 16 points but they all came in the second half and I know that if you said going into the game that the defense was only going to allow 16 points, the Bills should win like nine times out of 10, basically, mm-hmm. with what we saw. So I think as a whole, the defense was very good today. I think that there's still room for improvement, like you said, with the pass rush, with Levi Wallace's play. You know, a lot of people are going to point to him. I don't think he was like a disaster. I just think when you're comparing him to the guy on the other side of the field, there's obviously going to be more targets his way. Um, I really thought Taron Johnson looked good today from what I saw. I'd be curious to know what you thought. And then Ed Oliver was the one who like really stood out to me. There were a couple plays where Taron Johnson kind of got taken advantage of, but I did. there were some open field tackles that he made, and there were some passes defended that I think you like to see. I mean, it was the full-on Taron Johnson experience, right? I mm-hmm. mean, really good run defender. You know, that's 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 mm-hmm. his calling card. And then in coverage, he can get beaten. Yeah. And Juju Smith-Schuster is a good receiver out of the slot. Mm-hmm. And and he got him a few times. There was one play that Taron Johnson really didn't have a chance on where I think it was on the drive where the Steelers were trying to clinch it. 
and uh, Roethlisberger just threw a ridiculous, perfect back, yep, anticipatory yep. back shoulder throw, and there's no way that that Taron Johnson could have been there for it. Um, so you know, you just chalk that up as a as that's a win. a win for the that's a win for the Steelers because it was just a perfect play. Yeah. They had a couple of them where like literally there wasn't really much that the Bills could do. Chase Claypool made an unbelievable catch down the sideline over Tredavious yeah, White. Yeah, he mossed him. Yeah, he mossed him and it was like good coverage. Like Tredavious White played that ball well and still wasn't able to make the play. And then the touchdown to Deontay Johnson in the end zone, like that's just a sick catch. That okay, so this is why this is why you know, the Levi Wallace discussion I'm not sure what more besides yeah. knocking the ball down completely on that touchdown than he's supposed to do because he was there, he got a he got a hand on it, and um, and it he it looked like he was in a in a great spot. Um, there was also another play earlier in the game where he almost forced an interception mm-hmm. where yeah. where yeah. he he um, and they they credited the pass breakup to Matt Milano, but. Wallace's coverage on that play was great. It was the one where the ball kind of drifted in the air. And it air. looked like it was going to be able to get caught it before like it hit Milano the was a, a, yeah. about, about ready to do it, but it, it ended up being incomplete. But that was another good play. There was a there was another uh, play, I think, kind of near the near the end zone where, where he broke it up. Um, but, yeah, I, I did not take very large issue with Levi Wallace's day in totality. I mean, I mean the, the defensive... Penalties. Uh-huh. That's going to be something that Sean McDermott wants cleaned up. Also, they they were penalties. Yes, yeah, there were, were people who were, were like, "Oh, that's bad calls." No, yeah. like that was definitely, and they probably got away with one earlier in the yeah. game that should have been DPI or illegal contact, and they ultimately didn't. And that was in the first half, so that's when the defense looked great. But I think that was a penalty. And then there have been a couple people who were like, "Oh, the Tre'Davious White interception that was ultimately canceled out." That changes the game completely. You're right. It does change the game completely, but I also think they got that call right. Sure. So Don't hold the player. Yeah, exactly. And uh, But I do think Tredavious White had a strong day because, yeah. obviously, you know, that's what he does. Yeah, the Levi Wallace defensive pass interference was textbook because— um, Didn't even look. Didn't get his head around. He just kept running straight at straight at the receiver when the receiver's hands were out and and the, the ball was thrown, underthrown a little bit, and that's not really— it's it's not as though there's a rule that says hey if the ball is underthrown it can't be pass interference no it's, I mean you gotta you gotta anticipate that thing so that's why they teach you to get your head around yeah. uh, anyway uh, so the defense you know it they did enough to win the game and that's really what it boils down to I did find it interesting and I wrote about this in a piece in my observations that just posted at at theathletic.com um, about the the snap share between the defensive ends. And Greg Rousseau started the game. Mm-hmm. He only had one fewer snap than Jerry Hughes in in, uh, in the matchup. And he was, well, leaps and bounds is, uh, from a percentage standpoint, he was leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds ahead of AJ Vanessa. Because Rousseau wound up, I believe, with... 52% of snaps, and Epinesa wound up with 33%. I'm going to guess Rousseau and Hughes probably had the most snaps, and yeah. then yeah. Epinesa, Addison, and I did see F.A. Obata lined up a couple times at defensive end. So Obata was at defensive end eight times. He was at defensive tackle eight times. So okay. he had 16 total snaps. He was kind of the, the hybrid guy. But but yeah, so that's that's what it boiled down to. You know, I, I, it, It's a tough day for pass rushers, but... I would have liked to see a bit more 
uh, of pass rush wins from Rousseau because I do think he has the most potential. It is his first game, so uh, be, it, be it as it may. Um, the one other thing I wanted to get into before we start handing out awards. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, you... I know, I listen, but yeah. I'm excited because, like, yeah. now I get to do it. That's yeah, cool. right? Um, the block punt. So yeah. this is a... Um, this is more complicated than just someone blowing their block. I think there was a multi-person breakdown in this, and I'm curious to see how they clean it up. So basically going back and watching the play, it appeared as though AJ Klein put his head down and blew his block, to which Miles Killebrew was able to get by him and, and jut up the middle. But at the same time, when that was happening, the Steelers also sent two more rushers kind of in the area of where Reed Ferguson was um, uh, to try and rush. And Jaquan Johnson had his, who was on the, the second level of, of the punt team, had his eyes on those two to probably pick up one and probably caught Killebrew too late. But even still, that should probably be his responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece of this is Matt Hawk, the punter, took a three-step punt, like, and, and was kind of taking his time to do it. Now, you know, I a lot of this is probably results-based more than anything, mm -hmm. but I do wonder if he needs to have a bit more urgency there. So, you know, I I really want to know from Farwell, like, what um, exactly happened. He's never going to tell us. No, of course. And not. I'm not even sure we're going to be able to talk to him this week mm -hmm. uh, because special teams coordinators uh, aren't available every week i don't think um but when you have that level of breakdown you know there's there's going to be some things going there but it was it was the perfect moment for the steelers just because those three things in particular went right mm -hmm. and then we ended up seeing the result of it yeah that was the nail in the coffin it felt like once that play happened the bills really didn't have a chance to come back just because that did put them down 10 and they basically swung from a 10 point lead going into the half to a 10 point deficit early in the fourth quarter then the bills had that drive that followed up and they settled for a field goal and that's really kind of when it felt like things had lost hope. Um, two things here from my vantage point, it looks like it was a mistake from AJ Klein, but like you said, it feels like there's probably a lot of pieces involved there. It was also eerily similar to a blocked punt that happened in the Pitt game yesterday. And I have no idea why I was watching Pitt, Tennessee at like noon on a Saturday, but clearly I didn't have anything better to do. And uh, my last thought is that Miles Killebrew sounds like it would be a great IPA at like a brewery in Pittsburgh. So if you're like a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and you're listening to this you should probably recommend that it feels like it could be like an IPA or it could also be like a funky sour is are you only saying that because those are the only two types of beers oh I don't drink, drink IPAs you don't no 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 no, no. I know you're a fruit beer guy I like fruit beer and like cheap beer I don't even really like beer that much, but like socially, every once in a while, you need to like have a beer. So like sour beers are good to me because they don't taste like beer. And then, yeah, anything like IPA or like super hoppy, I'm, I'm not in on. But okay. Miles Killebrew sounds like it would be a really cool beer name. A Killebrew Stout. How about that? Not in on a stout either. Well, you know. I'm a, I'm a child, though, so that's okay. <laughs> Napo Bay. Yeah. Child. Yes. Um, yeah, so I, I think that it's going to be a, a major league focal point, and 
and Heath Farwell is probably because we're still we're recording this at Highmark Stadium right now, and I would anticipate Heath Farwell is either a in his office looking at it over and over and over again, or b at home on his iPad looking at it over and over and over again. So there's there's that. It is funny though because you look at like the score of the game twenty three sixteen, and obviously there were a lot of areas where the Bills did struggle today, and I do think that there was there was something went wrong there in give the Steelers credit because they were able to exploit that. But at the same time, if you take that play out of it, which I know is so like a hindsight thing, but we are talking about 16-16 at this point, and who knows what happens from there on out mm-hmm. if the Bills do, you know, not give up that play. But they did, and that was ultimately the difference, and, you know, that goes a long way. All right, it's a war time. Um, this is a this is a, a staple of the postgame. Um, we have, let's see... Five awards, uh, to to uh, my knowledge, that I wrote down as we were recording because I forgot about the awards until we started recording, and you know okay. that, that's just that's just things go here. Yeah. So it's, we haven't been busy at all. No. the The first, we'll we'll start this off positive before we yeah. we get we get to the uh, the negative awards. Um, the we're going to start things off with the Matt Barkley Award for the player. That caught you by surprise in a positive way. So, by all means, if if, if you want if you want to look for one, uh, you you can you can go right ahead. I my first thought was Ed Oliver because it felt like he jumped off the page, and it, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise because I do think that Ed Oliver is very talented. Um, Tremaine Edmonds is another name that came to mind. Because you only get one. Okay, I'm going to go with... Because if you list them all, then there's nothing left. That's true. I'm going to go with Ed Oliver okay. because he really did have a strong game, at least from the initial you know, watching of it up in the press box. It felt like he made a lot of plays. And with Star Latula layout, I wondered you know, how impactful he was going to be. But all things considered, I liked his day. And I think that that's a good sign because he is such a crucial player for them moving forward. I felt like... That little sea creature in Harry Potter, when when Harry tried to get Hermione and Ron both up to the surface in in uh, Goblet of Fire, in the Goblet of Fire, I am so proud that I know that. I'm I'm proud of you too. And I thought it was the little sea creature screaming at you and going, "No, only one." <laughs> um, so sorry about that. No, it's okay. Um, I'm gonna go with Mario Addison. Um, he's someone that I think has had become a bit of a. Uh, he was so maligned just on on Twitter, and this isn't really like Twitter is a bubble, yeah. so you can't really think about it that way. It's not but real. He was he was one of the he was one of the guys that people were actively like, nope, cut him, get rid of him, cut him. And the Bills have always maintained that they really like him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I I really liked how he was rushing the passer. It looked like he had a a little bit more juice than than we've seen him previously and. You know, I, I, I do uh, I do think that um, he he did well for himself. So I'm going to go with Mario Addison for that one. All right. Now into the land of the negative. There's a lot of negative. Yes. The uh, the first award goes to the Dree Archer. It is the Dree Archer Award, which is the player that did not show up at all in the game. So let's see. Is it too obvious to yeah, go for it? Is it too obvious to literally go with Zach Moss because he actually didn't show I'm, up in this game? I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. No, it is not. <laughs> I mean, it can be completely obvious. I have 
I have a legitimate issue with with Zach Moss not being available for this game. And it's not the fact that, oh, he's a draft pick, you got to dress him, blah, blah, blah. It's more matchup-based than anything. Because Zach Moss, to me, is a good short yardage back. Um, he can he can out-physical people through the lane. And and that's that's a major strength of them. Maybe uh, if they had Zach Moss on a fourth and one play, they wouldn't have had to throw it backwards. Well, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at here because wh- how the Bills wound up, you know, analyzing their roster, they had Tommy Sweeney dress in this game, and Sweeney, you know, I mean, backup tight end, but there's also this about him. He doesn't play any of the core four special teams, which is kickoff, kick return, punt, and punt return. Um, so he doesn't add value that way. He had three snaps total on offense the entire game. So why exa- are you dressing him as a just-in-case if do- something happens to Dawson Knox? Because in which case, you still have Reg- Reggie, Gilliam, Reggie yeah. Gilliam, who plays all of the core four special teams units. Mm-hmm. And he can, he can fill in. And by the way, you were just running... 50 per, almost 50% yeah, four and five wide receiver. So I don't really get the logic behind it. And and to what you were getting at here, by not having Zach Moss, that 100% influences Brian Dable's play call uh, on, on those situations. Because if you have Zach Moss on a third and a fourth and one... You're going to give it to him. One gonna, of the two. You're going to at least put him on the field. And, and the defense is probably expecting it. Mm-hmm. And either you give it to him or you pivot off that and you're just a little bit more uh, dynamic in that way. So I didn't agree with the decision for them to make him inactive. I don't – I mean, I, I was all the way on board for Matt Breida being being active because he brings them something that they don't have and he also plays special teams. But, you know, I, I, I just didn't see the logic behind dressing Tommy Sweeney and not dressing Zach Moss. But be it as it may. All right, um, my uh, Dree Archer Award. Let's see, I have to look here. Oh, I'm going to go with John Feliciano. Oh, wow, <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, for all, for all the reasons. The dramatic pause was clever. It was almost like I was the official in today's game. Who, yeah. who, this is the end. This is the end of, of the, the third, third quarter. quarter. Yeah, great, perfect. Um, okay, next up is the Vontae Davis Award. <laughs> For the player who didn't show up in the second half. I like that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 part of the deal. So that will go to... I'll, I'll go first on this one. Okay. That, I think... I think I have to give it to Josh Allen. Because... I was leaning that way. They just did nothing offensively. I mean, I think they had two field goal drives... Yeah, they had two field goals in the missed opportunities, the turnover on downs, all these other things. I think I think I have to go with Josh Allen because I already picked one of the uh, the offensive linemen for the other award. So I, Allen to me was was the I named him the LVP in my in my post game observations. So I think I think he's got to go. Wow, get you gave him the LVP, not Feliciano. No, I gave him the LVP. Okay. Uh, mine would have probably been Josh Allen, but I'm going to say Matt Breida, the guy who we were just talking about because he really didn't do anything in the second okay. half. I mean, he only had four rushing attempts for four yards. It's not like they were utilizing him a ton. Well, one of them was a negative seven 
panic pass yes. on fourth and one. So. Yeah, so that that sways things a little bit. But yeah, yeah all things considered, I'll, I'll give I'll give it to him. All right, next up uh, is kind of whatever you want it to be. The gotta watch the tape award, which the if for those who are just joining us um, for the first time ever, this stems from the Bills Week One. Uh, when they got trounced by the Baltimore Ravens, the Nate Peterman got to watch the tape. Nathan Peterman was was horrific. Um, asked Sean McDermott about Nathan Peterman's performance, and he said, "I don't know. I got to watch the tape." So from that point forward, the award was formed. So the got to watch the tape award. I'm gonna go with uh, good old Deion Dawkins here. Okay. No, I gotta watch the tape on Deion Dawkins to see if the holding penalties were actually holding and if the pressures were actually pressures or if maybe Josh Allen. I gotta watch the tape. You could talk yourself into gotta watching the tape. Oh, 100%. Deion Dawkins. Do, do you have a gotta watch the tape? Yeah, for me, it's gonna be Mitch Morris just okay. because we talked about earlier what did we think from him. And I do think that he is a valuable player and I think he's an important piece to this team. But the interior offensive line did just get abused today. And we've already mentioned Feliciano, we've already mentioned Ford. But I feel like it's Mitch Morse's job to kind of hold things down there. And I know that's a little unfair because. You know, he can only do so much. He can only take on so many different responsibilities. But I want to see it a little bit more on how he did when he got beat. I think he did. He had one holding penalty tonight Mm -hmm. that I thought was pretty critical because it happened on a chunk play. So I I would like to see how he did watching back the plays because at first glance, I think he was fine. But I think you need Mitch Morse to be better than fine. Man, you really got into it. The gotta watch the tape is usually tongue in cheek, so I appreciate you. I am not the analytical person on this podcast. I will never be. I'm the cookie guy, <laughs> so, so you know, I'm I'm like trying to prove myself a little bit here. Oh, it's it's a good rep. It's a good rep. All right, and this is um, an old award, okay, but one with a slightly new title. Last year. It was the the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance because of how many times Blaine Gabbert yeah. has gotten jobs and continued on and won a Super Bowl title last year as part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But now it is the Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn Award awesome. for Perseverance. Yep, that's great. So that go, it goes to the player that you know just you know stuck to it, really mm-hmm. really uh, kept it going against against the odds. And I'm going to go with Dawson Knox because Knox didn't drop a pass. Yeah. He took advantage, I think, four out of his four opportunities, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, you're not even on the Bills game. Um, Looking into Van Jefferson's juicy stats. Yeah, Dawson Knox had four targets, four receptions, 41 yards. He had a nice first down early in the game where he five yards after the catch. Mm -hmm. He made it to the corner, was able to get the first down, extend the drive. Yeah, he had a nice day. Yeah, and that's him. So I think think he has a very good chance this year to uh, get career highs in in receptions, yards, uh, maybe not yards per catch because that's naturally going to go down when you have more opportunities and it was pretty good in his rookie season but uh but yeah and touchdowns too i think i think there's a, a real chance of that so yeah dawson knox and he got all but three of the tight end snaps that were available so that that's something 
I am going to go with Devin Singletary. Okay. Because I think Devin Singletary was the sole reason they even almost had a chance at the end of that game because he was so explosive on that drive. And I think that was probably a little bit by design with what the Steelers were doing. They were trying to make sure that they were avoiding giving up the big play. And the Bills realized that was that that was actually when they did pivot. And then they rushed, you know, Devin Singletary and he had a couple nice runs. This does not mean that I think the Bills need to run the ball more often. This does not mean that I think Devin Singletary is a superstar running back by any stretch but I thought he had a nice day and I thought he had more specifically a nice you know fourth quarter when they needed him to make a couple plays so I will go with Devin Singletary well there it is the first ever Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn award for perseverance I am sure that he is just livid that the awards for this are going to Dawson Knox and Devin Singletary there's no way he's gonna love it and I, I, I am sure that at least two of you are going to tweet at him like, hey, nice, you got an yeah. award named after you. Nice job, buddy. But, and, and it's after, uh, and, and it's with the player that's near and dear to his heart. I, I hope that this becomes like the, the Dunder Mifflin 5K for a cure, like just continues to get more <laughs> ridiculous. So I don't know when I'm covering the Jets in like a year, I can be the, that's, that's not actually Whoa. happening. That's not happening. But, <laughs> You know, it's just a lot of turnover on the beat these days, but yeah. it can be the fair burn. And then maybe I can just get like half of a name because I'm not as important, but I can be like, and Beauvais. <laughs> Don't need my first name involved though, because we've already got Matt covered. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. All right. Uh, well, I think that's going to do it for this first post game edition of the Buffalo Beat. Hey, nice job, buddy. I hope I didn't embarrass myself. <laughs> that's, a perfect, that's a perfect way. No. And if nothing else, remember Miles Killebrew, <laughs> Stout. And he, I'm a cookie guy. Those are the two go-to statements. Big from, cookie guy. From, from, the, uh, from the day. So his name is Matt Beauvais. He is the sports director at uh, w, WKBW Channel 7 in Buffalo. He does a great job for them. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore Beauvais. As you can tell, great guy. Aww. Pretty damn entertaining, um, and, and I'm glad to glad to have him here on the show um, as as we uh, march forward in in this season. All right, so that's going to do it uh, for this episode. Thank you everyone for listening, and if you haven't yet, be sure to head over to theathletic.com/slash/thebuffalobeat, and right now you can still get in the door for 50 percent off your yearly subscription to the Athletic. Just go to theathletic.com/slash/thebuffalobeat. And you will, uh, you will see uh, the deal right there and be able to take advantage of it. Again, it's 50% off for the year. All right. For Matt Bovet, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. And we'll talk to you next time. See you then.